0: Welcome to We Got Balls, real, raw, masculine sex talk with Chris Inman and Scott Cohn. Chris and Scott both work with men who want to leave their unwanted sexual struggles in the past. They are willing to do whatever it takes to help men get curious about what drives their compulsive sexual behavior. With that said, here we go.
1: Hey guys, we're back for another episode of We Got Balls, and we have a very special episode today. If you've been listening in, you've heard we've been talking about the topic of sexual abuse, and one of the hardest things to do when we're talking about sexual abuse is to get particular into what, what really in my experience of sexual abuse uh, is creating harm in me still today. And so uh, what we want to do, what Scott and I both want to do today is model for you what it looks like to engage a story of sexual abuse. Now, I want to say this up front. These stories are just like our podcast. They're raw and they're real and they're very personal. And Scott is going to be offering up his story today. And so I want to honor you, Scott. Thank you for being willing to go to this place for our listeners, for yourself, and continue to do the work of uh, healing your little boy.
0: Yeah, thank you. Um, There's a a seriousness in this, um, but also kind of a joy and playfulness in doing this because I realized that by doing this, we're, We're allowing God to kind of redeem the story and crush Satan under our feet. And um, so I just appreciate, I'm going to be very, very vulnerable here and um, do my best to let the emotion of this, you know, be experienced by not just myself, but our listeners, because that's what's really necessary for us to heal is to get into the emotions and the heartache and you know, both the horror and the beauty of what happens to us when we're abused. I think we we tend to focus on the horror of the abuse and all the bad things. And yet, in the midst of the abuse, there's a lot of beauty that God brings out of it. Uh, even in the abuse itself, not that the abuse is ever good, but you're going to see things about my arousal in it and learning to bless the good things that happened in my body and to me even in the midst of the bad things is really critical for healing. And um, also being able to bless my desires because you're going to see how my longings and my desires were ultimately what, what get hijacked by evil in this story. And I'm not just talking about the evil of my abuser because my abuser has a story as well. And I want to be kind of uh, you know attuned to the fact that even though what he did to me was wrong, um, he also has a story where I'm sure he was wrong. That doesn't excuse what he's doing, but it gives gives us the ability to kind of be curious and say, what what happened to you that you would do this to me? And invite him to start to engage his story. In doing that, I think what God wants us to do is, is um, crush evil under our feet. So that's why I'm doing this. Um, I've worked on this story a lot, so I've done a lot of processing. We're not really processing this for my benefit today. I'm hoping that God can use this to help other men who have been sexually abused and invite them to engage their story at a much deeper level.
1: Well, Scott, thank you. And, um, listener, uh, I just want to say that because this is Scott's story and it is a real life story. It's something that happened to Scott. You may hear things in this recording that trigger you. And we want to be compassionate to you as well. And if you get to a place and hearing what Scott is sharing, and you're just feeling overwhelmed, you feel like you want to escape, you're having a lot of emotion in your body, you're feeling these things in your body, just turn the recording off. Uh, There's no need to push through and do the right thing um, to make sure that you 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 get this fix. As Scott just shared, there are no fixes. There's just being present and healing and seeing repair and redemption to our stories. And the only way that happens is if we are kind to ourselves. and We, we, and we just want to invite you to be kind to yourself today, even as you listen. Uh, because I know that's, that's what I'm going to model with Scott as I'm listening to his story. My most important piece today, Scott, for you is so that you can come away with this feeling like you've been heard and seen and loved. And I know you've had that experience before in this story, but that's my role as another human being, another broken human being who has my own issues in my own place of, of woundedness. And I want you to feel that. And I want our listeners to feel that. So as we do this, this is a model for what um, can be done. Again, I, I want to I be very purposeful. We're doing this based upon a two-year-plus relationship that Scott and I have developed. With a lot of training and a lot of um, experience doing this work. Uh, so, it, it can be dangerous to share these stories just with anybody and everybody. But we do invite you, if you're curious about this work, uh, to find a trained coach or counselor, uh, a trained story group and that's, that's facilitated by a coach or counselor where you can do this work yourself. Because this is what we do day in and day out with guys that we work with. We walk them into these places lovingly, kindly, truthfully, so that the healing can begin. So as we begin, um, I'm just going to start where uh, I would start with anybody that was telling a story. Scott, I just want to invite you to, to take a few deep breaths and to be present in your body. And um, whenever you're ready, brother, tell us your story. <clears throat>
0: Thanks. My first experience of sexual abuse occurred when I was five years old. Bruce was my abuser. He was two years older than me, and when we had moved into the neighborhood in Arvada, Colorado, Bruce was the ringleader of the boys that gathered together to welcome me by beating me up. My little brother, Chris, was with me, and he jumped on my back or jumped on the back of one of the boys to defend me. It was a tender act of courage, but I felt humiliated. Sometime later, I was at Bruce's house playing because he had now become my friend. Hey, do you want to butt fuck, he asked. I didn't know what he was asking. So I said, what's that? We pulled down our pants and lay on top of one another. It's fun. What he was asking me felt weird, uncomfortable in my body, but I wanted Bruce to like me. This was the boy that beat me up and now he's my friend. And it sounded intriguing, asking me to do something with my naked body and his. I agreed to his invitation and it felt good. His firm penis in my butt cracked, the weight of his body on top of mine, the warmth of his skin. We switched places. I was aroused to this point and did what had been done to me. When it was over, I felt this terrible sense of doom and sinking in my chest. I recall distinctly thinking God must be angry with me because we'd done something wrong, and yet I liked how it felt. The context for this incident was some cruelty from my mother in those first five years of my life and neglect from my father. I was a sensitive little boy who wasn't into team sports like my brother and like my father wanted. I was a dreamer, creative, kind, curious, full of wonder and imagination. I loved monsters and comic books, magic tricks, dinosaurs, fossils, seashells, and chemistry. I felt a disappointment to my dad. Bruce's invitation was an invitation to feel wanted, connected, touched, belonging. It made me come alive when we were doing it, but dropped me into a pit of shame afterwards. Male friendship and sexual arousal and touch became fused in an intensely powerful way in this incident. This event hung over my head like a dark cloud that followed me day and night from that point on. Something's really wrong with me for liking this, and if anyone ever knew, I would be rejected. In middle school, I took this fusion of sexuality and friendship and began to use it with other male friends. This continued in high school, in a new town, with a new group of friends. And while all my friends were experimenting with me, sometimes being the ones to initiate, I always told myself that I was much more into the experiences than they were. By the time I was in my senior year of high school, I had determined that I was probably going to be this way the rest of my life. And then Jesus came into my life in March of my senior year. I found someone that made me feel more alive than I did having the sexual experiences. I was 17. <sighs> a month after Jesus entered my life, a Christian band performed at my high school. At the end of the concert, they gave an altar call for anyone who wanted to give his life to Christ. Then they gave another one for anyone who wanted to know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What's that? I thought. God has something more for me? I want it, whatever it is. I went forward, and afterwards I was paired with Ken, a man in his mid-twenties, about six or seven years older than I was. Ken started to explain the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then paused and said, You know, I need a place to stay tonight, and so does one of my other guys in the band. Why don't I stay at your house and we can continue this conversation there? I knew my parents were very hospitable and would have no problem housing these guys that night. Also remember how kind and attentive and gentle Ken was with me. He looked right in my face when he spoke to me, and his eyes seemed to communicate a care and a kind of affection. He put his hand on my shoulder when he spoke to me.
2: We got to my house
0: and I put the other man in our upstairs guest room. Ken came to my room to sleep in my queen-size bed, a common thing we did when my friends spent the night. We stripped down to our underwear to get into bed and Ken said, why don't you give me a back rub while I tell you more about the Holy Spirit? I felt immediately uncomfortable like this was heading somewhere I didn't want to go. But I ignored my body because Ken held the keys to the kingdom.
2: And I loved the kingdom more than anything else.
0: I began rubbing his back, and after doing this for a few minutes, I could feel my penis get hard. I was afraid and embarrassed. I didn't want to get an erection. I tried to stop it. Stop it! Don't do this! But it was to no avail. I felt completely exposed. Ken turned his face to see my penis pushing my underwear out. In a quick move, he pulled his underwear off, and then mine. It was like I was in a trance. I know we had some kind of sexual experience, but I don't remember anything about it. Rather, when it's over, I somehow drifted off to sleep, and I do remember feeling disgust, anger, shame, and betrayal. I wanted out of doing this kind of thing now that I love Jesus, but here I was quickly being dragged back into it. And worse than that, my desire for more of God had been what was used against me to get me in this position. I don't know how long I'd been asleep, but I woke up to the feeling of something being forced into my anus. It was Ken who had taken my underwear off again and now was trying to penetrate me. I was frozen in my body. Get off of me, I said in fury. I was angry that he had taken advantage of me like this and assumed he could have his way with me. Although I was much more muscular than he was, I didn't want to fight him to create a commotion because I was afraid that my father would come down, hearing the noise, and would kill him and go to jail. But to tell the truth, I was also afraid that my father would look at me And curse me with this dreaded command, faggot. He despised homosexuals because he had seen one of his neighborhood boys growing up molest his younger brother. And had to intervene in that situation. And it created a real rupture between that family and my father's family. They never talked to them after this incident. And I didn't learn of this story until recently, but I didn't know that at the time. Ken kept trying to have his way with me. Get off me, I said again, this time with a little more force, but still quietly. Why, he asked in a mystified tone. It's like I had asked him for this and he was confused as to why wouldn't want this anymore. And then he spoke words that humiliated me to the core of my being. You're clearly enjoying it. How did he know I was enjoying it? The room was completely dark. I had an erection. How did he know? Because he had his hand on my penis. I was disgusted that my own body had betrayed me and responded with arousal while he was doing something that I didn't want to do. In desperation, I cried out to God in my mind, Lord, you know I don't want this. Please get him off of me. And I tried one last time. Get off of me now! He finally relented. I laid there in stunned silence. He didn't say anything. I somehow drifted off to sleep after some time. The next morning was as excruciating as I had to see his repulsive face and drive him to his band's bus at my high school. I wanted to kill him. As I dropped him off, I felt such a heavy cloud of shame as I drove off. Just a month prior to this, I had such joy and enthusiasm. Now I just felt like a pervert, a disgusting little bitch who was raped, and got a boner during it. How could I ever go on from this?
1: Scott, thank you for sharing that story. Um, that is such a heavy story, a two-part story that I hear so many things in. And one of the things that I'm most curious about, and you you mentioned this earlier, is that that confusion between desire and arousal and shame. What what was it like? What is it like even now as you tell that story? And you you feel the anger and you feel the shame, but you also see feel the desire for friendship, for physical touch, for for the Holy Spirit to be approved and accepted. Where's that living in your body right now?
0: Yeah, it's, um, I think it's, I think those things fight within me at times.
2: Mm.
0: And, um, I feel like there's, you know, two of me at war with this, these conflicting desires Mm -hmm. and, um. it's been very difficult for me to, you know, bless the goodness of what I experienced, the touch, Mm. the connection, the warmth, the, um, the tenderness. Mm. And, you know, to, to long for that, but, at the same time, to fear well, what happens if I get aroused, mm. Mm. and you know i um I long for touch from my male friends, but I also am afraid of it, and I'm afraid of it because if I get aroused and they see it, what if they become disgusted with me and reject me? Mm. Uh, for getting aroused by their touch on the other side of that fear is what if this leads to a disastrous experience like happened in both of those instances where now i feel complicit right in the sense of complicity Which we talked about last time, you know, in sexual abuse for men in particular, our arousal is overt. You can't hide an erection. You can't hide a male orgasm. It's all out there, literally. And so what does that say about me that I got aroused by the touch of other men and it felt good? Yeah. Yeah. And to be able to bless the goodness that was in that without blessing the whole, like I'm not blessing the abuse. The abuse was abusive. Mm -hmm. The abuse was evil. evil. But my body responding with arousal and tenderness and touch is how God created me to engage the world. Yeah. And I can't be at war with something God put in me that's to bring me goodness and pleasure and beauty
2: yeah
1: so the word that's coming up for me as you say that scott is is passion how, how do you bless your passion because you talked about your creativity and the things that you would do when you were a boy that your parents your mom was you know um cruel to and your dad was neglectful of and you found that You know, experience of connection and aliveness with the boys who were harmful to you, and one of them then took advantage of you and abused you. What do you do with a boy who loves passion, a man who loves passion?
0: Well, I can tell you what I have done. I'm not sure I have the answer, right? <laughs> yeah. I can tell you that I've either shut it down yeah. or I've overindulged. Yeah, yeah. What I haven't done is learn to live with the tension of those two things where I bless it and I contain it well.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm, mm. um. You know, one of the things that's been very healing for me in the last couple of years is I have really solid male friendships with guys that have no struggle with the same sex in terms of eroticizing other men. Mm-hmm. And yet they're willing to kind of enter into a place of giving me a lot of physical affection and touch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's been really healthy and healing. Um mm. And I haven't had that a lot in my life since high school because of what you saw there, right? Because that all gets mixed in with, well, this is dangerous. Yeah. I also have to say that I think my relationship with God really got shut down because in that experience, what's getting me raped is not the desire for the affection of this older man. Mm -hmm. It's my desire for God.
2: Yes. Yes.
0: So when desire for God becomes dangerous, what do you do? Right. And
1: What is is safe there? I mean, there's nothing that's safe there when the desire for God becomes dangerous.
0: So I've intellectualized my relationship with God so I don't have to feel the passion of it. Because entering back into that bodily, feeling the joy of God, the delight of God,
2: mm. a passion for mm. God in
0: my body, look where it got me. Mm. Interesting. So, really naming that, which, you know, we talk about this, this work, this story work, it's never really done, Chris, like I agree. I've been working on this story since before you and I started working together. So it's been at least four or five years. Yeah. And yet, just a couple of weeks ago, um, I attended the Allender Center's Men's Recovery Week for men who've been sexually abused. 20 guys working on their stories. Mm -hmm. And for the first time, I was able to see and to name that what got me into that place where I was actually raped was my longing for God. Exactly. And, you know, Adam Young, who was my individual therapist during a lot of the sessions we had, said, you know, I see a lot of anger towards God in you. Mm. And I think, I don't think you're angry with God because you don't love him. I think you're angry with God because you do love him. And I think it's a holy thing. Yes. And I I had to see that and bless that, that in this story, that's what gets me in trouble. And I can see how I shut that down and just intellectualize my relationship with God, because being passionately connected with him through my body and my emotions becomes so dangerous. And yet, that is no way to live your life. Right.
1: You're a man who loves deeply, Scott. I mean, I hear it all through this story. Um, you just wanted to belong with the boys, and at, at that young age of five, you were willing to do whatever it took to belong. And it brought a lot of shame and a lot of self contempt. You know, even in the the blessedness of the touching and the skin to skin contact and, and feeling wanted, feeling seen, all all that was there in that story, and the same as you know, the truth you wanted to connect to God, but you also enjoyed connecting to Ken as a friend. He he was a kind man up front. Yeah. He portrayed himself as someone who could be a a loving friend, a safe friend, and yet betrayed you, took advantage of you. And and I think the most important piece that I'm resonating with is he took advantage of your uniqueness. You wanted this so badly that it aroused you. You wanted that connection with God, with others, that it brought your body to a place of physical reaction. And yet he took that and shamed you with it. Same is true with your dad. He was aloof and apart. And the only reaction that he had to those very passionate men in his life was to call them faggots. And as you're in high school, you know, you didn't say these words, but you felt like, you know, I'm more gay than everyone else. I don't think think that's a label that you use for yourself, but there's this, I'm other, I'm different. And that's one of the big struggles in this idea of sexual abuse is how do I go back to what it means to be with and connected to other people? When I say those things, what comes up with you?
0: I mean, it's, it's true. It's true. I long to have deep, intimate friendships um, with others where there's as much coming back to me as there Mm. is me putting into it. And That's going to be arousing. Yes. Yes. Um, And so I have to come to terms with, you know, in blessing my arousal while containing it, what do I want to do with my boner?
1: Mm, Right.
0: Because it's going to happen. So what do I want to do with it when it does happen? And, you know, finding those boundaries that allow you to contain arousal to a place of honor Mm. without shutting it down. Yes. It takes some finessing sometimes to figure that out. There's no, nobody's got a rule book for me on that. Right. I'll tell you what, it's not. The, The containment is not, well, avoid relationships with other guys that have any kind of intimacy and touch. That's yes. a great recipe for, for deprivation, right there. Yeah, yeah, and deprivation always leads to you getting your needs met in a really whacked out way.
1: Right, it's chaos. It's chaos.
0: So, who put these longings in me? Mm. God. Mm. And you know, I see it in Jesus, Chris. I look at, I look at the Gospels, and Jesus comes. And he touches people you're not supposed to touch. Yeah. Or, he, or he lets them touch him. Yeah. This this scene in Luke 7 where the immoral woman comes and breaks her alabaster dress. She's a prostitute.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: She's taking the trick of her trade, which is her perfume, which we she needs to smell good to have sex with men. And she breaks it and smears it all over Jesus. And she's wiping his feet with her hair, that's pretty sensual. And it shocked everybody that's at the dinner table because the, the guy that invited him said, if this guy was really a prophet, he'd, he'd know what kind of woman is touching him. Like we don't do this.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: But Jesus did do it. Yeah. And, and he's touching lepers. And so there's a line in, um, Leonard cohen's song "Hallelujah," you know that's in Shrek, mm-hmm, and
1: mm-hmm. yep, yeah, a lot of places.
0: It's a haunting line. It says, "I couldn't feel, so I tried to touch." Mm. And I've just been thinking about that line for the last month as I as I went to recovery week, and as we talk about all these things that happen in the abuse, is like when we don't feel deeply connected with others in our lives when we don't have that feeling in our bodies we resort to touch Mm. because it's the most fundamental way in which we feel connected all the way back to being a little baby and being held and being stroked and and touched and and there are so i think a lot of us live very touch deprived lives and so yeah how do we how do we get something that's so fundamental to living life passionately as social creatures that come alive with this kind of connection in a way that doesn't have it going off the rails in sexual stuff all the time. Sure. So it's, it's that tension of acknowledging the goodness of it, but also recognizing the potential it has to become a source of harm and then being creative and intentional about getting the legitimate needs met Mm. and not feeling shame about that.
1: Yeah. And and you, Scott, I see a man who had no... A boy who had no grid for getting those needs met. There was no help. Mm-mm. No one modeled it for you. No one taught you how to, um, how to do that. There was deprivation and there was anger and there was circumstances. The random boy, the random man who could be there for you.
0: To be honest, and, and this is part of what I need to do with my dad, um, some of the work I need to do with my dad, who's very, very open to this now, I think for the first time is um, my dad used a lot of violence against me Mm -hmm. at times. And what that does is it sets me up for this longing for a tender touch instead of Mm -hmm. the backhand or the violent shaking or the, the harmful kind of touch that I was getting. Mm. And so, so much of our abuse is driven by what's going on in our family before the abuse.
2: Yeah. Yep. Yep.
0: Right. There's always the abuse before the abuse and the abuse before the abuse. So oftentimes is we feel alone. We feel unwanted. We feel unseen. Yes. Yes. There's nobody that's really attending to our hearts, and it Mm. makes us susceptible to somebody else reading that and coming along and offering what seems like a really cool drink of water in a barren emotional desert of our lives, and it's laced with just a little bit of cyanide, Mm -hmm. but water with cyanide in it is better than dying of thirst.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, um, yeah, so there's <clears throat> even as I talk about this, there's this a sadness, and yet also a hope that yeah, God's working in all of this to bring a great, a greater goodness and beauty out of mm. out of these ashes.
1: Scott, I know we wouldn't be here if we hadn't had those stories of loneliness and betrayal and neglect and abuse. We would have just gone and lived, you know, ignorant, emotionally unattuned lives. But there's a reason why we're here. There's a reason why we met. There's a reason why we're doing this podcast, because we believe that these stories are critical. And I just want to honor you and thank you for your vulnerability to model for those listening what it looks like to really dig deep into a story of harm, a story of abuse. Yeah. And I say that as, you know, uh, a man who loves you, I love you. I, I want you to feel loved by many so that you can, Begin to believe that that passion that still lives within you is so good and so beautiful and will allow you to not only experience goodness in ways that you haven't even imagined, but connect with others who can, you can share that goodness with and see the joy and peace and hope that you've always wanted, always, your whole life.
0: I mean, that's what I want, Chris. Uh-huh. Um, I I have seen God do that. I have made mistakes with that along the way. I have repented, readjusted, mm-hmm. and done what I can to repair and keep moving forward in that process. And keep I keep working on my stories because yeah. there's something new around the corner and just when you think you're done you peel back a layer of the onion and go whoops there's something there there that needs to be engaged but um i thank you for for being kind with me you've always been kind you've always been very uh, attuned to hearing my stories you model for both me and our and our audience what it's like to truly engage our stories with kindness and curiosity and i'm Mm -hmm. So appreciate that. And that's what makes our friendship so safe. That's why we're friends. Exactly. And um, I just want to thank you for that.
1: So glad to be with you and listeners. I just want you to, you to be reminded, it's not about getting it right. It's about becoming whole W H O L E. And that's what we'll do day in and day out for as long as this life lasts is experience wholeness and connection. So um, we look forward to sharing with you again on our next episode. Hope you'll come back and join us. Thanks again, Scott.
0: Thanks, Chris. Bye, everybody. Have a great day. Don't forget to subscribe for more episodes. You can connect with Chris at PornFreeMasculinity.com and with Scott at SuccessfulMen.com.